Hey, what's up? Today we are going to be talking about the Kentucky Irate Fest, a festival that the Browning was supposed to be playing with like Slaughtered Prevail, Impending Doom, Oceano, a bunch of really sick bands, um, but has thus been canceled because it was just an absolute mess that was so poorly managed in a lot of ways that it was just completely inevitable. And I have so much stuff to say about it. I can't just say it in like a Facebook post or something. So here I am to talk about this because um, this is going to have a lot of viewers that aren't normally listening to my podcasts. But on this podcast, we talk to a lot of industry professionals, people in bands, people that work for record labels, all that sort of stuff to kind of um, inspire people to work in the music industry and also just share like kind of behind the scenes stuff that happens um, at a higher level. And there's so much stuff to learn about this. This is a decently unique experience. Uh, I've been doing this a long time. And so there's a lot of stuff, a lot of red flags that was happening and um, just a lot of stuff to talk about the workings of crap like this. And so this is a learning experience and it is something to talk about and kind of give the behind the scenes and the band perspective of being involved in something like this. And so, yeah, that's that's a lot of what I want to talk about and kind of bring light to kind of how I think this unfolded and why. But first, I'm going to ask you to leave a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening on. This whole podcast is, like I just said, to help people learn about the inner workings of the industry. And I talk to a lot of bands about how they had their come up and try to inspire uh, up-and-coming bands to take the proper steps to get there or people to just work into the industry and um this is one of the fastest growing metal podcasts in the world and leaving that five-star review helps push it into the algorithm like you leaving a five-star review might push this to someone that might not have heard it otherwise and so you might help inspire someone by listening to this podcast and leaving a five-star review so let's get into this podcast about irate fest i'm johnny mcbee and you're listening to the burn this world podcast All right, so just to get into this, I guess we'll start right at the very beginning, um, which is like the first email received to get involved here. And for the Browning to do a festival or really even go out on tour, it's kind of difficult currently because, um, you know, we all do stuff at home. And like the company that I own, I only work on the weekends. And so it's very difficult to get me to go out and do a festival that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whenever those are the days that I make the majority of my money in my life. So we get a lot of offers for a lot of festivals. Um, and it's very difficult to get them. Festivals do tend to pay more than a typical show would for bigger bands, but um, still it's not enough money for me to be able to fly everybody out, you know, four people flying in for one show, fly home and have money left over that it was really worth, you know, all of that. So going into this very first email with irate fest, um, they, I'm not going to get into details of how much money all the bands were getting paid on this. But what I will say is the very first email, right when I saw it, there was two issues. One, it was an absurd amount of money for a deathcore festival in a B market, which Louisville is a B market. 
It's not an A market like Hollywood or New York City or Chicago. It is a B market. It's a smaller market. And it was a ton of money. Um, and so that initially is like, okay, I guess I need to look into this. And then they had a the second issue. They had a, a list of confirmed bands, um, which wasn't a lot at the time. We were one of the first bigger bands to confirm on the festival, but there was Impending Doom. So that caught my eye because Impending Doom is one of the most influential bands on me in my life uh, in this scene. And so I love Impending Doom. We toured with them too. So we're good friends. But there is a second band that I saw on there that was a red flag, which was Myra Lore. Uh, at that time, and still, I'm helping Myra Lore, helping Dan Watson with his side project, Myra Lore, um, which is just that. It's a solo project um, that does not play shows. And Irate Fest said that Myra Lore was confirmed on the festival. <laughs> so I was like, um, Myra Lore does not play shows. And so I immediately hit up Dan. I was like, I sent him the screenshot of the email. And he said, no, I never confirmed that. So I immediately responded to my booking agent and said, this is a scam. Like straight up that much money that was offered and having a band on there that's not even a band uh, saying that they're confirmed. I was like, uh, you need to check because this is a scam. Like this isn't real. Um, and uh, he responded back and the promoter who I don't know if at this time it was Tracy or Joe or whoever. um but they said that they confirmed on Instagram that Myra Lore was going to pay. And then they checked into it and it was like a fake Instagram or something. Like, I guess that they were about to get scammed out of paying money. But, you know, whatever. We got through that. And then they confirmed that, uh, yes, the money they were offering is real. And so, and I saw Impending Doom on there. And then they had like uh, prospects for who they were assuming was going to be headlining on the days. And they said, on Friday, the day you're playing, we're planning on having Slaughter to prevail. And then, uh, like, Saturday, they were initially planning on, like, Dying Fetus. Um, and so I was like, okay, sure. Like, confirm it. For this amount of money, I can fly everybody out there. I can drive myself and my family up to uh, Kentucky and, you know, make a weekend of it and do this thing. It was, it was enough money to be worth it. And so, yeah, we confirmed and another thing that was a red flag at the time, too, was I knew how much they were offering the Browning to play, which, you know, Impending Doom and Slaughter to Prevail were above us. So I'm like, well, how much are they freaking paying them? There's only so much money that an artist can be worth, you know? Like, say the Browning in Louisville by ourselves draws, you know, 200 people at, you know, X amount of money per ticket, like if we were headlining, it'd be like $15 per ticket. That means the Browning, uh, realistically, at a max is worth like $3,000 in Louisville. Um, and that's just like pure ticket costs. Like there's also fees, all this sort of expenses. Like, so the Brownings really would be worth less than that in Louisville. So I'm just like, these bands are nowhere near worth the amount that these people are probably play, paying. And at the time, it whenever we confirmed, it was at like a 800 or a 1,000 cap venue initially. <laughs> so I'm like, what do you mean? If you sell this place out at $100 a ticket, you're not going to be able to afford these bands. Like, 
that's something you have to think about when you're running stuff like this. Like you literally can't afford to pay the guarantee that you're offering, even if you sell out. Like that's a red flag. But again, if they're um, paying a deposit, locking it in and doing this thing, then yeah, we'll confirm uh, because this is our job. This is, uh, or at least it's part of our job um, to do this, provide for our family and, you know, have fun and also provide to our fans. Louisville is not a place we play that often. So it's it'd be nice to get there and do this, right? So even straight off the get-go, <laughs> I have three red flags. They're paying too much. They're saying bands are on it that aren't. And it's at way too small of a place. All of that had me thinking immediately, I don't think these guys know what they're doing. We were like the third band or something announced for this festival and they were rolling out bands and everything. And again, remember I had a list of like bands that they were planning and headliners they were expecting to be on the festival. And another big red flag thing happened to me, like Oceano confirmed on the second day and then they announced the headliner for the second day, which remember I thought the headliner was going to be dying fetus on the second day. Uh, and they announced rivers of Nile as a headliner on a festival like this, which zero hate towards rivers of Nile. Uh, I think they're one of the most creative bands in our scene. Um, and also they're absolutely killing it, but they are not like a replacement for something of the caliber of like dying fetus. You know what I mean? Um, and again, uh, full respect to them. I, I went and actually saw them live on their tour. Amazing. And my wife really loved them too. Um, so no hate, but they're not like a headlining band on something that is supposed to have like dying fetus. And then that had me thinking like, okay, so they're booking Rivers of Nile as a headliner. Um, I know how much they're paying the Browning. So I can imagine how much they're paying Oceano. So I can imagine how much they're paying Rivers of Nile. And again, the bands are only worth so much. And so another just massive red flag about like, what are these guys doing? So minus all of that stuff, they said they upgraded to a bigger uh, facility, the field that's behind the gas station, like you all know uh, and have seen. But um, going towards, you know, all the bands being announced, like I was like, dang, this is actually ended up being like a really sick lineup each day had its own like kind of vibe and it looked like it'd be really sweet. Um, but I was still concerned with uh, being involved with people that just seemed like they didn't know and they were like piecing it together because also a lot of festivals like this would have their headliners in mind. They wouldn't be. They, they pushed this festival out and started announcing people like us and Impending Doom. And they're like, don't worry, we'll announce the headliners. They didn't even know when they started announcing this thing who the headliners were really going to be. They didn't have them locked in. Remember, I, I thought it was going to be Dying Fetus. It was Rivers of Nile. Like, they didn't even know. And so it was just screaming to me that these guys are piecing this together <laughs> and just, I feel like, hoping it's going to work. Um, And so... My kind of thought was worst case scenario, we were going to get to this festival. It would be extremely unorganized and uh, it would kind of be like we played this festival in Belgium that uh, we showed up and it was in a field in the middle of nowhere, uh, like under a freaking <laughs> willow tree. And we show up with one of the other headlining bands that we we're just meeting up with there and we uh, me and the tour manager had to make it all work. Like we just had to 
schedule everything, get everything running, get the stages going, get everything going. Like we kind of had to just like make it happen. So I kind of thought worst case scenario, we were just going to show up and this thing was going to be a mess the day of, and that we were just going to have to make it work. And there was enough big touring bands on it that it would, it would function properly because these people know what they're doing. Like the bands would hold it together. That was what I considered was going to be the worst case scenario. Right. Um, and then all of the drama starts. We'll just start skipping to that because that's really where it gets to. Right. And so, uh, we have the first thing that happens that is the promoter going after a local band about selling tickets and threatening to get that local band fired from their job because they, you know, someone putting on the fest owned the place the dude was working at, like an Amazon, whatever. Um, that's obviously extreme <laughs> and is another concerning thing um, of just being like, dang, like, because to me, that signals like low ticket sales, right? The only way a promoter is freaking out about a local selling tickets is low ticket sales. Now, I will say, like, ticket sales are a very normal thing. And I know all local bands know about ticket sales. And ticket sales are essential for, like, tours coming through. Like, my favorite tours to do are tours that have very few amount of touring bands and have a lot of locals. Because the locals are, like, pure marketing and they get guaranteed ticket sales, and they they really make it happen for the touring bands. Locals do. Like, you can even look this tour that the Browning just did. There was one other touring band on the bill, and then every day had, like, four or five locals on it. And that was because I know the power of locals, and I know how much locals really, really help. Um, so it is essential for locals to help sell tickets. But in stuff like this festival, in no way, shape, or form should it be mandatory you know, like you got a lot of bands that you're paying a lot of money for in no way, shape or form. Should you be relying on locals to have to sell tickets for that? Like uh, dump money into marketing. If you want to worry about selling tickets that bad and you clearly have enough money to be paying like overpaying all these bands. Um, that's where you need to dump money into marketing. So there was my thoughts. Like I was like, this dude's raging on locals and threatening them. Uh, for something this size, like, why is he that worried about it? Uh, you know, and so, and I'm very supportive of small, smaller bands, up and coming bands, local bands. Um, on this podcast, I do reviews of smaller bands, music. You can go back. I haven't done it in a minute, but I'm going to kick it back up because I love, um, you know, working with, uh, up and coming bands. So I do have a lot of song reviews to where I try to showcase a lot of up and coming smaller bands like locals. And so I'm all about it. Um, and, but here's the thing, like right away, uh, a lot of locals started dropping and I'm like, yeah, of course. Like if they're saying that to one band, they're probably saying it to more, you know, the thing is I knew that the festival was still going to be moving on. I knew no big bands were going to drop off over the, um, local band thing. Um, and that's just for a lot of really basic reasons, um, I saw a lot of people online saying, oh, those bands are all on contract and whatnot. Um, no, not really. We don't sign contracts saying, like, we're going to play this thing. It's just a strictly money thing. Like, I had already paid at that point when all that drama started. 
I was already in like fifteen or seventeen hundred dollars in expenses of flying four people in, driving, hotels, renting stuff. Like I was already in Tennessee. Like <laughs> I drove up early. I took off two weeks from my uh, work to come up early um, with my family so that I didn't have to like overhaul overnight haul my family up here. Right. So like logistically, I'm already in. Like there's no way I can back out um and be out the the expenses I've already paid plus not make that money for me and my band that we're expecting to pay bills with like this is like I said part of our livelihood and our job and then um for bands like Slaughter to Prevail like they probably use this as as a catalyst they probably got this offer that was a lot of money and then as a lot of people saw they announced like three tour dates for after the festival like they probably used this festival to fund visas and flights and, um, you know, a bandwagon, like travel, all of this stuff so they can go do three headlining dates as well. Like they can't back out of something like this. You know, this, this thing was probably the catalyst for them to do more stuff. Like, so I knew none of the big, big bands, like we're going to be dropping out of this thing due to this issue. Right. Um, because everyone was already too invested and it was too close. Um, even being, you know, a week, it was basically like a week out, a week and a half out. And so I wasn't worried at this point of the fest being canceled or anything like that. Again, it just signified to me more that these guys don't know what they're doing. Um, and so I was just waiting for a day of just being an absolute nightmare. And then also with this, it just seems so silly to do as the promoter because like I said, the locals are so important. Like a lot of those local bands are going to be more important than some of the bands that come in that aren't local. Like the locals will draw more people. So if you start effing with the locals, less people come. I was already in my head kind of like going through the maximum amount of people I would think would come to this. Right. And I was kind of pushing like, I would, I would say in Louisville for something like this, I was like max, like, 1500 people maybe 2000 <laughs> and so you chip away at the hundreds and hundreds of people that that many local bands will bring and i was just like well again i don't care necessarily how many people are there um you know we've all played shows to like no one you know a big empty field like we played gathering of the juggalos at 1 a.m <laughs> like we played to like 50 people and spread in this like 3000 capacity field at that. Like, I don't really necessarily care about that, but again, it just went to the promoter shooting themselves in the foot by messing with the locals in that way. The thing is all of this could have been avoided in so many ways with the local issue, right? Um, no mandatory ticket sales obviously would be step one. Like obviously push for the locals to sell tickets, but no mandatories. Like, put your money into marketing, market it properly, and then have the locals kind of help you along the way. Um, like, even for Browning headlining shows, the locals have tickets, and the locals sell a lot of tickets sometimes, uh, but it's never mandatory. Uh, like, I mean, some of the locals on this last tour would sell, like, one ticket, and it's like, whatever. But some promoters are very hawkish about this crap um, because they kind of use local sales to pay guarantees, basically. Um, but no mandatory on a festival, you know? I just don't see the freaking point in that. Um, unless if it's their only thought of how they can get enough pre-sales in a B market is 
okay, we'll have freaking 50 locals and each of them will sell 20 tickets. That's a thousand people. That's our, you know, that's a thousand dollars worth of tickets, you know, or a thousand heads worth of tickets. Like that could have been their only way. They're like, that's how we'll market. We'll just do it like that. Not a good freaking plan if that's what the plan was um but nonetheless no mandatory sales then the whole conversation wouldn't have happened in the first place then even once the conversation happened not escalating just be like you know if you really don't like even if they were having mandatory sales hey you don't sell tickets you don't play that's it okay simple as that (laughs) and so even that would have ended the conversation and not had drama then it got to the threatening of of making someone lose their job right So then even if you get to that point somehow of threatening someone, which is silly as crap, uh, then just get online and say, hey, guys, I'm an idiot. I'm just really stressed. Uh, I'm sorry I said that. And, um, you know, but let's move forward. And I really do apologize, you know. Boom. Then the drama's done, you know. (laughs) Like, then it doesn't escalate. The problem was there's this whole like blame shifting thing started, um, which again just comes to showing how amateur this situation was in general. Like, and I'm sitting here watching this. I'm like, what the crap is going on here? And, uh, I just couldn't believe it. Um, now again, these guys aren't like mainstay Louisville promoters. There's people that like the Browning have been working with in cities for like 12 years. You know, people that have been promoting shows in the same area for for two decades, you know, this person is not that for Louisville. And from my understanding, this person hasn't done a lot of stuff in the in the past anyways. But again, with the amount of money they're offering, the bands that they got locked in, and then they were also talking to me about like they locked in some sort of deal with like, I want to say they said freaking like Hulu or something that it was going to be streamed on some sort of huge platform might have not have been Hulu, but it was some platform that I was like, what you locked that in? Like this is going to be streamed on there. So all of this stuff, I was just like, okay, whatever, like this stuff's going to be fine. But then all this stuff unfolding, I'm like, yes, we're back to the amateur hour crap. Right. And so again, this could have all just been avoided with apologizing, being sincere, and then like getting rid of the local stuff. Like, the local ticket sales rather than like kind of doubling down on it online and then arguing with people and then shutting off comments, not allowing a conversation. I think the biggest thing that they screwed up with here that really threw everything really downhill was all of that and shutting off the comments and trying to end the conversation. Like somehow that was just going to put an end to it. That's so silly and so amateur and so immature in so many ways it was just freaking mind-blowing to see (laughs) and um like there was a whole hate group page that got brought up for the festival because they shut off the comments like if they just would have just contained it on their page and was was sitting there and genuinely conversing with the people that had a problem and then actually solved it and apologized then the fest would be going on like it wouldn't have been freaking this situation really but then of course there's more (laughs) and uh you know that's that's really where everything again it's just like people in over their heads and the wrong people being involved in organizing something like this so then we get to the sexual assault 
allegations, right? And I didn't dive into this part of this stuff because at this point I was kind of trying to tune crap out and I'm just like, I'm going to show up Friday and, you know, do the thing. Um, but basically from what I gathered, there was people that had invested into the festival, was help putting on the festival. Um, not the main guy, Joe, that I had communicated with a couple times about gear and crap, um, but some other people. And so from my side, I saw that stuff was happening and that the festival kicked those people off of working at the festival. So at this point, like a bunch of bands, especially in the local scene, like stuff like this is very important to handle in the local scene because those are the people that you're involved with a lot. You know, if there's someone in your local scene that's doing stuff like that, then it needs to be handled. Um, that's not my local scene. I'll probably never be working with these people ever again. Um, just in general. And so I'm glad that the local scene stood up for that sort of stuff and wasn't going to allow for people like that to be involved. And the voices that rose up about all of this stuff is going to make sure that the Louisville local scene is safer and more secure in the future. But I saw that I rape fest kicked them off. Those people weren't involved with the festival anymore. And at this point, a bunch of bands had dropped from both the local band stuff and then also these allegations. And so I was just like, again, none of the bigger bands had dropped yet because everyone was so invested. Um, and if people like that are kicked off the festival, then, yeah, we'll still show up. So I hit up my booking agent to see just <laughs> what's going on here. And he said it was just an absolute nightmare. And that the people putting it on were all over the place, frantic, and it was just really difficult <laughs> to be talking to them and trying to make sure everything is still happening. So at that point, things were getting super sketchy uh, with not knowing, like, like am I, I'm already up in Tennessee, like very close to where the festival is going to be. And everyone was about to be flying in. Everyone's taking off work. Like everything's happening. Like all these bands that are going to be going to do this thing all had already had everything set up and were close to starting to travel, right? I had already traveled, but a lot of bands were about to be. And so we had to figure this out and we had to secure stuff for bands. So my booking agent had them send uh, deposits for all the bands that are on his agency to ensure that they can't just absolutely give nobody money, right? because everyone was already invested. Everyone was already in. And so everyone got deposits, at least everyone that was part of my, my booking agency stuff. And so that helped secure the situation <laughs> a little bit, um, but it was still up in the air. And even at that point, security is a little bit of a, you know, vague term, but like it, at least the deposits kind of made it to where the bands that were already traveling and already had all these expenses could at least uh, have that paid for. And this is something that I found out after the fact, but all the ticket sales weren't done on like Ticketmaster. They were done on Square. And on Square, you can have that money deposit to you every so couple days or whatever. And so people that are asking for refunds, uh, I'm sitting here thinking like, there's there might not be any refund money there. Like, if you get a refund for a canceled show on Ticketmaster, like, the money's there. Like, Ticketmaster will refund you. But if this crap just went straight into someone's bank account, like, I don't know. That's 
super suspect and very, very strange, like, and not secure. I'm sitting here recording this and uh hardcore Keem is calling. So let's talk to him about this. <laughs> so you were mainly talking to Tracy, who is one of the people putting this thing on, right? Yeah. And because we locked you in as the host and everything like that. But I mean, <laughs> just, I mean, what do you think about this whole thing with the locals and all that sort of stuff? It was literally by hour. It was crazy because I don't know if you've seen the, the documentary Firefest. It was it was that, but sped up. It was like a speed run. It was like hour by hour. There was always something new, and then new bands drop, and I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just saying, whenever I first brought this up, what did I say about this thing? Literally, even before he like confirmed, he was like, this this is sus. He was like something funny about this. And I'm like, oh no, Johnny, like, I, it's, it's, like, I'm like this should be good. Because I was like, oh, they, they have, you know, big names on it. So I was like, hey, it should be, it should be fine. Yeah. Should've, yeah, we should have listened to you. <laughs> Definitely. <Okay>. A little weird. <laughs> uh, and so, I mean, from Tracy, the whole time, did you get any vibes that, like, this crap was going to fall apart like this? No! That's the, that's the thing. He was, like, really helpful in everything. And he was like, hey, you guys need anything? Or um, I found out a couple of days ago that the Sweetwater thing wasn't even a, a real thing. He was like, hey, sweet, uh, Sweetwater had a back line ready. And then um, people contacted Sweetwater. was like, no, <laughs> that's not true. Really? <laughs> yeah. So like the whole back line, they, they were saying that this back line was provided for all the bands to use. And then people found out that Sweetwater was never even like actually had the back line ready. Right, so basically, we wouldn't have had a we wouldn't have had a drum set. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We can make it work. We have a computer. Right, a computer exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. And so Tracy was the first like staff person to really drop off, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was um, the first person to drop off. Yeah, and yeah, it's just it's so crazy and so like. With talking to you, like they were planning with you on doing the hosting stuff and everything, like you had no indication of any of the, anything that was going wrong, bad ticket sales or anything like that. No one was saying crap to you about it. Nothing. I had like, uh, as far as I knew, for, shoot, you go back five days. It, we was all cool, copacetic. Everything was running smooth. I hadn't, I, I didn't, even, I didn't even know what was going on behind the scenes. Jeez. Yeah. And so, like. What was your kind of like deciding factor on not wanting to host anymore? My name attached to that because first of all, like uh, talking to locals like that and my bread and butter, my you know my foundation is locals. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's who I appeal to, and it just had my name like right front there. So it's like, nah, yeah. I don't want to be like attached to that because that's like a slap in the face if I if I would have went through with it. You know, I mean, show up like go there three days. It'd be like, what? Act like everything's all happy and cuddles and it's not, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. It really did just come out of nowhere that this crap was falling apart and then it happened so fast. <laughs> oh, that's what I said. It was, a, it's, it was literally a speed run. It happened so fast. But, like, what do you... Uh, like, how do you feel about that? Because it was, it was basically like the local scene just, like, banding together, you know? Yeah, 
I've, I've never actually seen the the scene so like kind of cohesive like this yeah um and, and this this type of type of thing especially with the uh whole allegations thing yeah. it was looking bad bad <laughs> yeah it all just kind of freaking came out of nowhere but yeah yeah well we'll get on another one i'm sure <laughs> oh for sure yep all right well thanks for talking to me all right man bye so this all really did just happen super fast um and it was just mismanaged so extremely bad to where like last night everything was still going to happen and then this morning i wake up from an email from my booking agent at like 8 a.m saying it's canceled (laughs) right and so we went from like uh one day they're paying a deposit to ensure that all the bands are good to go the next day everything's fine to we're canceling and i guess that there was threats to some of the bands that were still playing and then also supposedly going to be bomb threats to the venue itself right now i will say that if you disagree with a festival that's going on and a band is still playing that festival in no way, shape, or form should you be threatening that band. Because like I've explained a couple times, like there's a lot of stuff involved to where it's like people might not be able to pull out. Like imagine like a Slaughter to Prevail situation, right? They have to pay for visas. They have to pay for flights. They have to pay for all this sort of stuff. Like they can't just back out. Okay. And so like don't be threatening bands for something that they had nothing to do with and they had no control over, right? So that's ridiculous. If you're sitting there sending threats to bands that are still playing a festival for all the drama that they had nothing to do with, right? And so, but then the bomb threats as well, like, I would highly doubt that someone would actually bomb the place, but it is, again, really stupid that you're trying, you're not really affecting the people putting on the festival because the people putting on the festival trust me are losing a lot of money even if the festival happened they were going to lose a lot of money nonetheless the only people you'd be hurting by doing that are the bands that are still showing up and trying to perform and then also the fans that were going to show up and have a good time so it's like um by doing those threats you're only affecting the people that had nothing to do with this crap right (laughs) And I'm like, for me, like all my expenses are covered. I just didn't want to lose money on it. So I'm not mad about like potential more money, like merch we could have sold or anything. Um, But still to have that be the situation is ridiculous. Um, And I don't even know if necessarily the bomb threat thing is real or if that's what the promoters were um, just saying to have to cancel. Because the thing is, even if this got pushed to day of and they're actually going to do it, and then a bunch of randos on the internet started calling the police saying they're going to bomb the place. The police are going to shut that crap down in a second. So nonetheless, even if they didn't cancel and this got to day of, it was going to be canceled day of. And so uh, I guess just inevitably, it was inevitable to get to this point. So that's basically what my booking agent said. He said there was threats to bands that were still playing and then supposed bomb threats uh, if the festival moved on. And so we're like, okay, cool. Like, I guess, I guess we have to cancel. Like, there's nothing that anyone can do about it at this point. And then, like, 20 minutes after their phone call, 30 minutes after their phone call, Joe emails my booking agent and says, 
we're moving forward. It's not canceled. <laughs> like, what? And so at that point, my booking agent just says, dude, this isn't freaking happening. Like, you don't know what you're doing. You just told me it was canceled. Like, at this point, I had already, like, got like tried getting refunds on flights. We got like partial refunds on some of the flights and you know, all this sort of stuff. Like I'm sitting here like, okay, we need to get this crap put, put up, you know? <laughs> and so it's just, I, and then still, even in their announcement that they did just did, they're still not even saying it's canceled. The venue said it's canceled, but <laughs> the festival itself still isn't saying that. Like, are they really trying to get this together? Um, I know for a fact none of my booking agent bands are playing. Like, it's just not happening. And this is just an absolute freaking crap show. From the get-go, I said these people seem like they're in over their heads. And just the inexperience that was shown, even just by the guarantees that were offered to the touring bands, it almost felt like they were just throwing crazy money out there to ensure that they would lock up these big bands to get there so that they could lock up all this other stuff. So I kind of feel baited to a degree. Um, and I feel like they really didn't know what they were doing, but they were just throwing money around to get people like us and these bigger bands to confirm something like this. So I'm a little frustrated with that. And then uh, it's just crazy to be this far in and still be able to be baited. But, you know, money talks. And this is our career. This is all these bands' career. Like, if the money's calling you, you have to go for it, um, especially in the music industry. It's something we talk about a lot on this podcast. But it's just, it's a shame that really this could have been fine. Like, even though they paid a lot of money to the bands, they could have broke even uh, depending on, you know, certain things. But it just sucks to have something that could have been so awesome, especially for like a B market to have a really cool festival like this. Um, it could have been cool, uh, but it's not. <laughs> and so here we are. Uh, there's more crap coming out. Like I'm sitting here and people are texting me and just like, I'm just like, dude, get me away from this thing. I'm just going to put out this podcast, having talked about it and shown my side of everything and kind of let you guys know really what was going on uh, from my perspective and from the band perspective and why things occurred the way that they did. But, you know, on to the next thing. Uh, you know, we I know that we have a festival already booked for October um, that we're going to be doing down in Texas. And there's just, you know, these things come and go. Uh, these people are going to struggle if they try to work in the industry anymore. They've just really handled this crap. The probably the most unprofessional crap I've seen in like 12 years. Um, next to just running away. Like at least they paid up front. Like they did the deposit, you know, there towards the end to kind of secure, like make us all feel secure. But again, that shows how amateur it really is. Like, it's just crazy, dude. I can't, I really can't believe it. Um, I guess I'm going to take that weekend, try to get some work uh, for my business up here in Tennessee, and I guess just move on to the next thing. 
So I appreciate you guys here listening. And if you're new to the podcast, is this your first time listening? Uh, this is one of the fastest growing metal podcasts. I have a lot of really good guests from a lot of really known bands and then also some not so known bands and people that are just throughout the industry. So it's a lot of behind the scenes look. So uh, leave a five star review, leave a follow on whatever platform you're listening on. If you want to hear more of the industry workings and uh, how bands operate. And I appreciate you being here listening and we'll see you on the next one. Peace out. 